Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And my guest today is Joyce Durst, the founder and CEO of Growth Acceleration Partners, or GAP, an outsourced software and data engineering firm that excels in executing complex mission-critical projects that require high quality at every milestone. The acronym GAP also stands for GAP's values, which are greatness, agile, and people. So welcome to the show, Joyce. Thank you, Steve. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And you had a great career and you ended up uh, an entrepreneur. And uh, can you describe your journey, how going from being a senior VP for a billion dollar enterprise software company and then uh, building a venture bank and, and exiting a venture bank a software company, then you started your own professional service firm. How does that even happen? <laughs> well, first of all, you need to have a really long career. And so I've been very fortunate. I've been working in the software industry almost 37 years now, wow. which sounds really long when you say it out loud. Uh, but it's been it's been full of really great experiences and, you know, a fair amount of successes and a fair amount of failures. And those have blended together to kind of bring me here to where I am today. And I'm, again, happy to share that with you and your listeners. When I was Climbing the corporate ladder, I was working for a multi-billion dollar, very successful, fast-growing software company, and I loved doing that. And as I uh, kind of moved up the ladder, I, I started out, I'm an engineer by education, and my family tells me I'm an engineer in my mindset all the time, which can be good and bad. But as I climb the corporate ladder, you move more and more into management roles. So throughout my career, I was, I've spent time in, uh, as a software consultant, a systems engineer, uh, product management, marketing, development, sales. So I kind of tried out a whole bunch of different things as I moved up the ladder. Eventually, you get into just pure management roles. And so in the multi-billion dollar software company, I ended up as a senior vice president responsible for about a $250 million division of all kinds of database products. Just tremendous uh, learning and leadership opportunity. But once I got there, I began to really kind of focus on, hey, what did I want my legacy to be? What was really my purpose and my mission in, you know, working and building my career every day? And, you know, Steve, what I determined, what was most important to me was figuring out how to invest more in the people around me and how to really make sure that you were accelerating the growth of people's careers, that you were accelerating the growth of company success. And so for me, it, there came a time where, hey, I needed to leave big company land and go try my hand at being an entrepreneur where you could control more of the culture and the focus and the priorities of a company. And so I did that and jumped right out there into the fire uh, running a security software company that was venture back. Yep. Wow. Talk about learning experience. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, for anyone who's out there in big company land, do not believe that because you were running a multi hundred million dollar uh, division of something that that will in any way translate to being a CEO of a startup trying to figure out how to make its first million dollars. Just totally different things. And so in that journey, I clearly made every possible mistake that a human being could make uh, learning how to be the CEO of a startup company and learning how to raise money 
and learning how to make decisions very, very quickly. And so, again, not a lot of success in that particular endeavor, but tons and tons of learning. So I'm, I'll be forever grateful for that. We sold that company after about six years uh, to a larger player in the space. And mm-hmm. from there, I determined I, I wanted to have even more control. So I found a co-founder and we founded Growth Acceleration Partners. That's now been 15 years ago. Wow. And I use all of the learning that I had. You know, Nelson Mandela said, I never lose. I either win or learn. And in that particular endeavor of the venture-backed company, I did a lot of learning. So I took all of those lessons and put them to work as we started Gap. And we've been, literally for 15 years, we've been profitable from the end of the second month and have been growing very steadily ever since. And what I learned was, if you want to have a really successful company, make sure you know your why, what's your purpose, what's your mission, lead with your values as the forefront of all of your decision making, and then just and just never back down. That's what you have to put out in front. And for me, that's worked incredibly well for 15 years now. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you went from a big company where you had all the resources at your fingertips and you had hundreds of people working for you and, and all the, you know, the, the balance sheet of this big company. And then you went to venture back when you had to raise the money yes. and then figure everything out. And now you're doing uh, your own company where you don't even have people giving you money. So you have to actually generate that as well. Yes. And so that's kind of ultimate control, but ultimate challenge at the same time. And you have grown the company to 600 people in a professional service business, which is huge and it's very challenging. What I what really struck me was uh, on our earlier discussion before this call, we talked about this and you have generated a near unprecedented 40% growth rate. I mean, normally I don't see more than 20, 20% year-on-year growth and in a professional service environment because you have to bring all those people on, they have to inculcate them in your culture and you double that. So how was this even possible? And in the context of the two things that you mentioned that you do every day, is this something that helped you get there? Yeah, it's a a great question. You know, I do a couple of things every day and a couple of things is really the foundation of the whole company as to why we started it and, you know, how we kind of live our life. And to some people, you know, when I tell them, yep, here's what I do every day, they're like, really? Like a CEO of this fast growing company, that's what you're going to make sure you do every day? Like, yeah. The first thing that I do every single day is I, on Slack, I, we have a, 100% 100% of our employees on Slack, I randomly pick one. Someone not on the executive team, someone not in leadership, randomly pick someone and I just call them. And I ask them, just tell me, how is it working in Gap today? And what are you finding that you really enjoy and that you love? And what are you finding frustrating? And, and give me at least one idea of something that I can do or the company can do better to make this a, a even better experience such that you want to spend your entire career here. And the, the wow. person on the other line is always really surprised and sometimes a little nervous that the CEO is calling them out of the blue. But once they start talking, they're just, they're a wealth of information. And I do that, Steve, because we founded this company kind of based on these two principles that we want to have first and foremost employees for life. And these are really smart, talented engineers. They can work anywhere. In fact, they many of them get two or three job offers every single week. 
So if they're going to stay working here at Gap, that's on me. That's on the company. Are we creating an environment where they can learn and thrive and grow and feel challenged and enjoy working with their teammates? And and so that's what I'm asking every day. I need to talk to at least one real person doing actual real work in the company and say, just tell me about your experience. So that's the first thing. The other half of that coin is I feel the same way about customers. We want to have customers for life, which means that's not you know, just about technical stuff or about pricing, or it's not about any of that. It means you really have to know what success means for that individual person, that VP of engineering person, that CIO, CTO, application manager, whoever that is, you know, they have family, they have stress, they have a lot of other things going on. How can I help make them more successful? How can we help them participate in some of the learnings and best practices that we get from other customers? So we take that as a personal challenge to say, I'm building that relationship for life. Whether they stay with us seven years or 70 or however long that is, I want that person to know we cared about them and we did all that we could to make sure they understood that we view their business as important as ours. And so kind of those two things, employees for life and customers for life, I try to every single day do something that makes sure I'm keeping that as my mindset. And if we get everybody to do that, then, you know, magic happens here. So that's fascinating. It reminds me, as you were explaining this, it reminded me several years ago, I remember that one of the Korean car companies, I think it was Hyundai, they set up shop in a city near me and I read an article uh, about how they operate. And they have this principle of the zero defect principle. So they don't expect, it's not Six Sigma, it's yeah. absolutely zero. And the, and the article explained that the idea is that when you get to this point of precision and quality, then mm-hmm. actually your cost goes down because you are not reworking anything. You're not going, you're retreading your past at all. You're fixing everything. So you have a perfect product. And you and very consistent, you can improve the quality. And I'm as you were explaining, the employees for life and the customer for life, essentially what you're doing is if you when you keep employees for life, you don't have to churn people, you don't have to replace people and train other people and deal with the morale issues that the departures cause. And at the same hand, you're not losing customers, so you don't have to replenish your customers and you don't have to prove yourself again. You're keeping all your employees, you're keeping all your customers. So you're creating tremendous consistency in the business, which allows you to grow much faster than other businesses that have to basically redo half the stuff they're doing every year. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I would say as part of that, on both sides of that equation, we find it's really important to continually, almost daily, reiterate the why. So we keep making sure that the employees understand why the work that they do is so important, how that will make the customer successful, how that will help them grow in their career. You know, all of these activities and the same on the customer side, when we have employees out, you know, we're going to take them out for a day because they're going to go to a technical workshop or a leadership workshop. We go back and explain to the customers again, hey, we're investing in developing these people so that they're even stronger for you. And I think a lot of companies sometimes kind of fall short of, they tell everybody what they need to do, but they don't spend enough time telling them why and how they're so important, the employees and customers in this overall picture of, you know, building stronger things to make the world better. 
And, you know, I, I want to make sure everyone that we're working with, like questions, Joyce, I don't know why I'm doing this. Okay, let's stop. Let's make sure we talk about that until we're both comfortable, right? And that that has helped. Yeah, I agree. This is a tremendous opportunity that most companies don't take advantage of because when you create alignment around the why, then you give people this spiritual inspiration or to connect with the values of the company, the mission of the company. And then they bring not just their hours and their mental uh, resources, but they're going to bring their emotional, their enthusiasm, their creativity for the company. Uh, that's tremendously, uh, that's a tremendous uh, opportunity for, for businesses that they don't take advantage of most in most cases. So staying with the culture, can you describe the culture of Gap and what it takes to, to be considered a true Gapster in, in Gap? <laughs> Uh, sure. Uh, l- let me tell you a very quick story about how we discovered our values. And I say discover because you can't, you know, have a bunch of executives sit around a table and go, oh, these sound really nice. I'm going to put these words on a chart and make a bunch of posters and put them around the company. That doesn't do anything. You can only discover your values because your values are whatever they are, right? What you bring to work every day. And we went through an exercise that we read this in a book that we're, that we follow called Traction by Gino Wickman. Mm-hmm. And his example that he gave was, which I loved. We took some of our favorite people from across the company, like 10 different people. And we just, we printed their pictures and we put their pictures on the whiteboard. And we had a group of about 20 plus people. And we said, we want you to go to each person's picture and just write down one word, one attribute that you find of that person. And it might be integrity or it might be, you know, hardworking or it might be whatever it was. And we did that across all these pictures. And then we circled all of the words that appeared over and over and over again. And we go, well, those are our values. You've already said it. They're already in all of, you know, our people and they're consistent. And for us, it basically equated to striving for greatness being agile in everything we do, not just in software development, but agile in the way that we embrace change and we collaborate as a team and we share leadership, being agile. And the third one, which is the most important one for me always, is investing in people. That's it. Now, I would say we were a little bit clever and that we made sure at the end of the day they spelled out gap. So maybe unlike some other companies that you have worked with or for, I can promise you all 600 Gapsters can tell you exactly what the values are because they're greatness, agility, and people. But the team really carries that into every fiber of our being. It's in every decision we make in hiring and recognizing and rewarding. And, you know, if doing, if there's a performance issue, it's almost always on values, not on technical capability. And so everyone that comes in, the Gapster team evaluates, hey, does this person have the values? And if they don't have the values, then they're not going to make it into the company. But they they then use that to say, hey, are we working not just with Gapsters with our values in all of our interactions with our customers? Are we being true to our values? Are we helping our customers participate with us in those? And then the third area is, are we raising up and improving people in our communities where we live and work by doing that? So we have an organization called Gap Gives, which is focused on involving Gapsters in donating time, money, and expertise to projects in our communities to make them stronger. And again, that just ties back to our purpose and it makes employees excited to be part of this because they know that we're not just about making money, we're about and people being over more important than profits. And we demonstrate that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's great. So you allow them to to feel good about their job. They they part of a mission that they care about. They have values that they share. It's super powerful when you can reduce, uh, you synthesize down your your core values to three, because yes. people can actually remember. Them. <laughs> right. when the, the acronym matches the company's uh, yeah. acronym, then it's even better. And uh, what you you talked about the agility. I mean, it sounds like so important for you have a big company of six hundred people. How do you stay agile? That's the biggest challenge for most large companies. How do you stay agile, entrepreneurial, nimble with a large size, not get bureaucratic if you can embed it into the culture that can be very, very powerful. Now, we talked about the culture, but also what I really was intrigued by is the diversity that you built in this, this company. And you, know, you, you travel a number of countries across uh, the Americas. It's basically a near sourcing company. So when was it then you discovered the power of diversity and how does it help the company to succeed and why? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed to say I didn't really discover the power of diversity when I was working in big company mm-hmm. in a software land. And it's people know it's very unusual for there, you know, there's just not enough women-led tech companies. There's not enough minority-led tech companies, not enough women-led tech companies. But with women specifically, we're still a very small percentage. And I never actually thought anything about that until we started to run a large number of projects for big clients at Gap. And early on, somebody asked us, how do you get all those women in engineering leadership? About 60% of our engineering leadership is female. And in all honesty, Steve, I'm like, we didn't say no to the people that were the right person for that job. I mean, that's all I could kind of come up with. But I started just like, okay, I really, I need to study this. This was years ago. And what I found was, which is, there's tons of research studies on this, Uh, once you, and not just women, people of different cultures, people of different ages, diversity on any level, once you start to have more than one, once you get to like three women in leadership, other women start to really believe that's possible. Mm -hmm. Once you start to have permission, um, positions of leadership in different countries, not all the leadership positions just in the U.S., then people believe that's possible. So what we did is, hey, let's just remove the barriers and get enough people in leadership positions that so that we have a really diverse team. And what you're going to find is more people want to come work for you. More people say, hey, raise your hand. I want to go be in a leadership position because they go, I'm not the only one. And I, you can be really successful in this company. And so I would say that's been our secret to success is really encouraging people because here's what I hear all the time. There are no women in, I hear this from other tech companies. There are no women raising their hands saying they want to be in a leadership position. I'm like, well, go ask them, tell them you support them and you want them to raise their hand. So, you know, and we do this with people that are younger in their career, again, men and women, people that live in countries that aren't in the U.S., in Costa Rica and Colombia and Peru and I think we have people in 17 different countries now. And we're like, hey, we would like you to consider this leadership position. If you don't like it, we'll try something else. We believe in employees for life. And that has really helped broaden the pool that are brave enough for maybe the first time in their life to raise their hand and say, hey, I want to be considered. 
the outcome of that is really the beautiful thing because the outcome is if you build a more diverse team, the increased volume of ideas and perspectives will blow you away. So we know without a doubt that the solutions and recommendations that we make to our clients on the solutions we build with them are way stronger than they would be if we had one single homogeneous, like-minded group of you know, engineers on that team. So we lean into that and we try to help all of our customers understand the power of diversity means better products being designed. And now many of our customers come to us it's been interesting. We have a few customers come to us and say, we want to enter diverse team members for the team gaps building. We want to enter diverse team members first because they want to make sure that now they have as diverse a team as possible building their solutions. So I'm hoping that becomes viral and goes everywhere. In all product design, you should have a diverse team because if you're going to have diverse people using it, it would be good if you had diverse people designing it. Yeah, this is fascinating. There's a lot, lot to unpack there. What really struck me the way you explained this is that essentially you build diversity in a meritocratic way rather than in an affirmative way. Yeah. Which basically made it authentic. Because I think what happens is when people just put people there because, oh, that person is of color, we have to put them up there, uh, whether they are capable or not, to so show that we are diverse and actually puts people off because they say that this was not meritocratic and it could backfire even. But when you open the floodgate and you encourage people and then you allow them to rise and essentially you open up your talent pool for, for opportunity and then you have a much bigger flow of, of people into uh, these positions, which is, which is fascinating. It is, you- I think what's hard for leaders to understand, especially if you're really old school, which again, I am, (laughs) but we, I think in leadership used to believe that the most talented, best people would be the ones raising their hands, asking for the promotion. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely not the case. Mm -hmm. It's not that the people raising hands aren't talented and should get promoted. That's not it. But there's a large number of people who are just as talented and capable and may even succeed more that aren't raising their hands because they don't, they just don't believe that, you know, they're going to really be considered. And that's the part where I'd say, we have to make sure they know we want you to put your hand up. And then everybody goes through the process and we choose the right person and then it's fantastic. But there's just a lot of people that aren't going to go, especially if you understand cultures in Latin America, there's a number of cultures that do not believe in what what we in the U.S. would say is bragging or being boastful or, mm-hmm. you know, stating your case. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of cultures that are like, no, no, that's not appropriate. I can't do that. And so those are the ones you got to go, no, no, we want you to raise your hand. That's not, we don't call that bragging. We're just like, we want you to raise your hand because we think you're going to be really good at this. And so you can't view the world through our own culture's lens. You got to really start to put yourself in the other cultures and understand their, you know, kind of the way that they operate if you're going to make your company as successful as it can be. Yeah, that you said it very well. By the way, I come from a culture where this was also the case that pushing yourself forward is not appropriate. You know, you have to wait for your opportunity, wait for someone to discover you and 
Yes. It may never happen. May never happen. Yeah. Right. People just don't see you if, if you don't show yourself. So maybe it's connected to this topic. What is the secret? What do you consider the secret of high quality execution in this very mixed field of software outsourcing? I mean, you, you've got some great companies, but a lot of mediocre companies. What do you see as the, as the secret of uh, execution here? I think the culture and values play a really large part of that. So if you buy into the culture, you buy into striving for greatness, first of all, but also investing in people. And in the part of being agile is you believe in the collective and the team success. So you're willing to sacrifice, you know, if, if you and I are working on a team together, if you've got the highest priority tasks on this particular team, I'll set mine aside and come help you. Because like, hey, as a team, we understand that's the team goals are most important. And I think our across our team, it's really been that in that everyone wants to push for team success and the team means the client. So the fact that we don't internally, we understand why people call us this, but internally, we never use the words outsourcing because we don't believe anything's been thrown over the fence to us. We believe we are part of the customer's success. So we are teaming with them. We are partnering with them. We are a hybrid part of their organization. And it's that belief every day that, hey, if we fail, the customer fails and that we cannot allow that to happen. Like we will do everything we can to make sure that our customers are successful. That makes us successful. And that's been the difference. We don't view, it's funny, we don't view these the client success as a task or as something we do so we can invoice people. We view it as, hey, they're relying on us or their business fails. And it's not quite that dramatic, but that's kind of emotionally how we internalize it. Um, and so you'll see, you know, teams rushing to the other clients, to the client saying, hey, we have these ideas, we can improve the process, we could move this work to this person because we have to get, it's always we, we have to get this release out on time in order for us to make the revenue that you promised the board. So here's what we have to do. And I, that really separates us, I think, from a large number of people that are just viewed as work, hands on keyboards. We don't, that's just not the way that we view things. Yeah. So uh, as the saying goes, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I'm just wondering that by caring for your people, you know, by making those calls, you know, are, how are you doing? What can we do better to your employees? Then you actually foster this culture of them caring about the customer. Yes. And then essentially it comes full circle and, the customers feel cared for, and then they don't see you as an outsourced resource. They see you as part of the team, and that makes you very sticky uh, yeah. with, with the organization. A, a quick story on, I was uh, recently in Colombia. I spend at least a week every month in a Latin American country somewhere. And one, we had a little all-hands kind of gathering, and there was a young man, probably late 30s, I'm going to say, who stood up and said, you know, Joyce, I want to tell you this story. We had just rolled out special bonus for all the employees in this country because their inflation was going through the roof and we didn't want them to fill the financial plane of their inflation. So we gave them, in fact, we're still doing, giving them monthly bonuses to equalize like there was an inflation. And he said, I, because of this job, my family has a family restaurant. And I wouldn't be able to have that without Gap. And I'm like, I don't completely understand. He goes, well, this bonus that 
you guys have given out has really saved my family and my family's business. And I went to my mother who day to day runs the family restaurant. And I told my mother, Hey, we have to do this bonus for all of our employees. And my mother said, absolutely not. Are you crazy? What are you thinking? No, that we can't do that. That's too risky. And he's like, no, these are the values that we're going to live by. We're going to do that for our employees. And then we're going to help them make it through this tough time. And, and well, by this time, tears were coming down my eyes, but tears were coming down his eyes, his face as well. And he said, we have to spread these values. This can make a difference in the lives of people. And I think that's, again, that's why I come to work every day. Yep, we're going to build some amazing software, unbelievable, and it's going to do great things for the world. But being able to impact people's lives on a one-on-one basis, that's what your legacy is. Yeah. It is awesome that you can do that. So we are clo- actually we are over our normal time, but we're going to run a little bit long here because I want to ask you one more question. Okay. Which is about this whole idea of remote working. I mean, you <laughs> are all over the uh, the Americas, so surely ca- you cannot have everyone in your office or at least there are different offices. And this whole post-pandemic environment changes the concept of in-person remote. I just had a call this morning with an entrepreneur who basically only has remote employees and they don't even have meetings. They communicate uh, in writing. So people take different approaches. So what is your take on this whole remote transition and what are the risks of it? I have a really strong point of view on this, Steve. So prior to the pandemic, in certain countries in Latin America, traffic is unbelievably bad and like think New York City bad. And so you can only drive your car certain days of the week. So we have always had for all employees, two to three days work from home, two to three days in the office, two to three days work from home. So the working from home thing, it's never a question. It is never a question about, do we think our employees are productive from home? Absolutely. They are. No, that's not the thing. I believe that if we allow people to work 100% remotely and never interact with their teammates. First of all, that's just a contract employee. That is not actually, in my view, a real employee. That's just, they're just somebody you pay to do some work. It's hard to maintain your culture in that way. The other thing I just, I really focus on everyone, especially in the U.S., everyone in every news report every day is like remote uh, virtual learning has killed decades of learning in our students. That's like what all the articles are about right now. Oh, it was horrible to send all these students, whether they were little kids or college age kids. It was terrible for learning. We should never do that again. Doesn't matter if there's a pandemic, put kids in a classroom. And I'm like, work is a learning environment every day. Just because we call it, we get paid for it, doesn't mean it's still a learning environment to which you need trust You need to create social bonds. You have to have an engineering peer-to-peer kind of work. That does not work as well. I'll debate any tech person. That does not work as well if people are always remote. So I am a believer that project teams have to get together in person. doesn't have to be every day, never has needed to be every day, but have to come together. If not, we will have done a huge disservice to Generation Z and those that follow if we do not bring them and teach them the power of working together, at least on an occasional basis. So that's my viewpoint. We have got to get back in the office a little bit, work from home, be highly productive, but you need both. If you're going to be mentally healthy, learn as much as you can, I think that's what we got to do. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, you have your role models in the company and you want them to actually model the behaviors, the work ethic, the thinking uh, techniques and approaches so that the people who are coming up, they see how to do this and then they can by osmosis, uh, soak it up and and perpetuate it, right? Yeah. And whenever we have done, you know, as we do this today, which is on a not as frequent basis, but every time people are in the office for an education workshop or the team's doing a brainstorming session, everyone walks away going, this is a great day. Like, I loved seeing everyone. Like, I learned a ton. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you occasionally have to go see people face to face. So, yeah, yeah we got to spread the word that this... You know, just having a bunch of isolated people that don't really know their teammates in a deeper way, not good. It's not good for people, which is what I worry about most. And there's some kind of intangible energy that people can project to each other. That Again, on Zoom, it's much harder to transmit. Yeah, maybe some percentage of it can be transmitted, but in person, that's a different experience. You can touch people's lives by just being there and bring your energy, bringing your energy to them. So uh, that's been a fascinating conversation, Joyce. Thank you for showing up uh, in a big way on this uh, the show. So if people would like to learn more, more about Gap, maybe they want to become a Gap, be considered to become a Gapster. They want to find out what you do or they want, want to be a client of yours. Where can they find you? Where can they find the company? Where should they go? Yeah, please. First of all, find about the company, come to our website. I'll give you the long way and the short way. The long way is www.growthaccelerationpartners.com, which is really a very long name. The shorter one is www.wearegap.com. So that's a little easier to type. Uh, It's one I like. (laughs) For me, Joyce Durst, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. My contact info is there. Please feel free to reach out to me and I'll be as fast as I can at, at getting back to you. But we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have a bunch more of you come figure out how to either be an employee or a client. Love to have that conversation. That's amazing. So do check out George Thurst, the founder and CEO of Growth Acceleration Partners, gapvrgap.com. And if you enjoyed this show, then be sure to visit mbppod.com where all our transcripts are now uh, going to appear. And you can check the show notes uh, there as well. And if you'd like a custom business operating system, then check out my website, which is stevepreda.com and plenty of resources and free uh, book summaries as well. So thank you. Thank you for, uh, for listening and see you next time.